Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you so much that you uh, shine your light into the darkness of our hearts, that you illuminate our lives and you, you turn us into this beacon of hope to the rest of the world, that, that with you anything is possible. And so we praise you, God, for what you're doing in this space, in this time, that we get to be a part of your work is more than we could ever ask for. Lord, we pray that you would speak profoundly to our souls now, that your voice would, would, would shape us and mold us into your image so that we could be sent from this place filled with hope, filled with your light, uh, and, and ambassadors for your love to those who are in need. And so we praise you, God, and pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat. Good morning. So good to see you. Today is a historic day <clears throat> for four football teams. Yep, pretty much. Who, who, who would have guessed? How many people just got all of the picks right on their uh, fantasy football? Anybody? Anybody guessed that it would be the Saints, the Chiefs, the Rams, right? Nobody guessed it would be the Rams. And the Patriots, what's Tom Brady? He's supposed to be retired. He's in, supposed to be in a convalescent home right now. What's going on with Tom Brady? He's still playing football. Get up, move over. Let other people have a try. Who thought that the Rams would ever have a chance at the Super Bowl three years ago? You did? You did? Okay, well, that's not what, that's not, seriously, you know why you did? I'll tell you why you did. The reason why you did is because they were a terrible team like three years ago. But what happens to terrible teams? What do they get? First, trip, first pick in the draft. That is what happens. And then terrible teams get a second chance. I want to tell anybody here today that feels like, you know what? I just had a losing season. That happens. But you know what God does in your life? He's going to give you a first round draft pick. He is. He's got one coming for you. There is a chance. There's a time. Everybody gets it. And so uh, just, just a heads up, don't give up just because you had a lo losing season. God, God, I love that. I just love that about God. He just says, you know what? I'm giving you a first, first round draft pick. So today we have this thing about beginnings because we find that beginnings happen when uh, endings occur. And some of us wish that the endings would get over with so we could get on with our beginnings, <laughs> right? But, but it's true. There's, something has to come to the end before something new can begin, and so today we are talking about beginnings. We are continuing this series where we are encouraging people to next week step out in a new beginning and to make a new commitment to Jesus. Uh, if you've been a Christ follower for a long time, maybe this is the time where you say, you know what, I, I'm ready to rededicate my life. It's like a new promise. I want to start over. And others of you are doing it for the very first time. You maybe were baptized as a little kid, but now is the time when you are going to profess your faith in Christ. This is the time when you're going to say, you know what, I, if someone wants to say, hey, that's the church over there, you can count me as one of those. You can count me as a follower of Jesus. And so we're encouraging you next week to think about that. There's already a crowd of people that have said that they want to do this next week, which is so exciting. And I want to encourage you guys. But before you step out in this journey, I want to give you a few, few tools in your tool belt, no matter where you're at, that I believe are going to be fundamental for you to experience really, really um, optimal growth, Right? optimal growth. Now, I hear people say, you know, my spiritual journey is organic, right? Organic, because it is. It's a spiritual journey. It's a spirit. But I'll tell you what, I, I just had an organic farmer in the last, last worship service, and he would tell you that organic farms are planned. They are very well planned. In fact, they're more well planned than what is the opposite, like chemical farmers? I'm not sure what they do. They're just people who aren't organic, right? But to have a really successful organic a farm or organic growth in your life, there's a lot of structure and a lot of shape that, you, that, that can help to facilitate really good growth. And so today, 
I am going to present to you what I believe is Jesus's structure for our faith development. And as you move forward, you could say, hey, you know what? I want to grow in this area. I want to grow in this area. I want to grow in this area or this area. Do you get it? So, <coughs> oh, I'm just choking up because you guys are so beautiful. That's all it is. <laughs> so today we're talking about this, uh, this shape that Jesus gives for the church. And it is, a, um, it is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 20. And it begins after Jesus has um, been crucified he was uh, resurrected. He came back from the dead. He appeared to some of his disciples, and he said, go tell the rest of the disciples that I, want, I don't want to meet them downtown Jerusalem. I want to meet them at a secret location in the outskirts of Galilee. I'm going to meet them there at a mountain. And so this is the story of these disciples traveling to that mountain and meeting Jesus there. So the, the verse opens up with this beautiful image. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus told them to go. Do you know what I think these disciples probably looked a lot like? This is what I think they looked like. I feel like they looked like the guys from, from Stand By Me. I feel like, and they weren't 13, they were probably more like 18 or 16 or 20 or 22. That was the probable age range for these disciples. But they were traveling together as a group and they would have had funny experiences and strange moments and laughable moments and tears. And I just love them journeying together. Before we start to try to uncover what is this shape that Jesus has given to the church, I think it's important for us to understand that Jesus set the church in the context of small groups. Jesus started his church with a small group of just 12 people. 12 people who would walk through life together and, and learn about life together and journey through life together. And so I, I think that for us, as we look and, and try to be faithful to the shape that Jesus has given to to the church, we need to recognize that there is something powerful that happens when we journey through life together, where we walk through this experience of love and challenge and, 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 and loss even sometimes, that we're in a group together. <coughs> I'm serious, you're beautiful. I keep choking up. Um, <clears throat> this is the, how the scripture continues. and It says these words. <clears throat> when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. When they saw him, they worshiped him. I love the honesty of that. Wouldn't that be a great report just to send out an, as an email today after worship service, just say to people, you know what? Um, we had a great worship service and there were some people who doubted in there. Isn't that great that there was embraced like, hey, this is who we are. This is what it was like. I, I, I think it shows that Jesus, that Jesus created a community, a small group community, a church community that welcomed doubters. So if you're saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in that place of doubt in my life, well, so were the early disciples, even after following Jesus and shaking his hand and having Jesus cook bread for them and teaching them everything that he knew for three years, they still had doubts. So don't feel alarmed if you're a person who has doubts. But I also like that they worship Jesus. Now, I know that we, have, we think of worship as something that happens like here in this space. Socially, that's acceptable, right? But, you know, raise your hands, you can praise, you can sing. But if you do that at that coffee table out there, there's going to be a people who are going to be concerned for you. That's just how it works in this. In the, I know that that's not how it should be, right? But that's true. That's true. People will say, hey, no, no, no. Worship happens in there, inside of that box or inside of that room in the sanctuary. But actually, Jesus' worshipers, Jesus' disciples worshiped everywhere. They worshiped in the streets. They worshiped whenever they encountered Jesus. When they were encountered the truth of who God was and the love of God had for them. This morning, I was driving. I took a picture. I posted on Facebook of this beautiful sunrise. Do you know what I was doing when I did that? I was worshiping God. 
I was saying, praise God for this beautiful thing. And then I was, I was, I was celebrating it on social media. People can worship through prayer. You can worship by, by just staring out a be- beautiful sunset, just sitting there calmly, quietly. Worship is something that I believe is, is very key and, and, and second, second thing in the order of structure for our life. First, small groups. Second, worship. Now, by the way, you might think, hey, you know, worship is one of those funny things that people do. You know, like, I never find myself worshiping, but I'll bet you do. I'll bet some of you guys are going to be worshiping spontaneously later this afternoon when you're teen. Yes. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? I did it one time. I have video of myself worshiping spontaneously. I went to a high school, high school football game, and they were playing for the, to get in the CIF championship finals. And it was like a small high school. And there was a goner because this was one of those teams of, they were playing against one of the teams. You know the ones, they're like, they're from the farm town, but you know the farmers, they don't just like, they don't just um, fertilize the crops. They kind of go over the football team too. Just like get them a little bigger, you know? You know what I'm talking about. This is a little uncanny. The Chiefs, yeah, that's the team. I, I grew up in Utah when we would go play basketball against the uh, team that was from the town where they did like the nuclear testing back in the 50s. Those kids were huge. They were like this big. That was so unfair. And they were freshmen in high school. Not fair. So this is, <laughs> so we had one of those football games. I get into the football game uh, and, and the quarterback gets an injury. The, league, the one that had got him there gets out and, and people are like, it's over. And we're already behind by 15 points. And then something happened, and they won. And this is what happened. I took a video of it. Just a heads up. This is what worship, that's what worship looks like right there. That's what the disciples were doing. Seriously, that's what the disciples were doing. You know what they were saying? They were like, we won. We won. Game over. Death doesn't have the last voice anymore. It's no longer death that wins. Life. That's how excited they were. They were so excited to encounter Jesus. And so I want you to start to, to, to guide your life around this shape of faith that can be guided by small groups and then worship. And then uh, listen to this next thing that Jesus says. It says that Jesus came near to them. You, so that means that they were worshiping Jesus like this from far away. But then Jesus walks up and says, no, no, no we're going to have a really close relationship. We're, we're coming back into this again. I imagine them huddling up and he says, he came to the earth to them and he spoke to them and he said these words, I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. All authority. You know, I remember years ago uh, when I was an associate pastor of the church and, and um, I was talking to some people about some software that we could upgrade or something, some salesperson. And at the end of like three days of conversation, I told the guy, I said, I said, you know, I don't make the decisions. And he said, what? I haven't been talking to the decision maker? He was so frustrated. He's like wasting my breath. You can't even make a decision. And I said, no. I feel like Jesus at this point is saying, I'm the decision maker. Jesus is saying, saying that he's the boss. Jesus is saying that he's the decision maker and he is the king. That if you're looking for somebody above Jesus, there's nobody. That's it. Jesus wanted to lean in the disciples and say, if you're looking for the source, you've found him. you found him because he wanted them to listen all that more closely to what he was saying. So let's listen to what the source says. Listen, listen to the source of life speaks into the disciples' lives and into the life of the church. He says these words, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. Not just, not just the United States, not just Russia, not just Uganda, every single nation. 
Every tribe, every race, every single person that you could ever imagine, Jesus says your job is to make disciples of them. Your job is to, to reach out to them. We call this outreach at the church. And I believe that as a Christ follower, and you'll find it throughout scripture, what Jesus calls us to do is to reach out to the people who know nothing about who Jesus is. Jesus calls to go into the world and to find those people that, that, that represent every single walk of life and to speak Jesus' love into their life and, and to reach out to them. And so I think as you're evaluating and, and seeking to have a shape to your faith, you're going to want to have a small group experience. Don't deprive yourself of that fun of being part of, like, stand by me, right? Don't deprive yourself of that experience of worship, and don't deprive yourself of what it means to, be, to live a life of outreach, of, of reaching out to people. Now, Jesus goes on to say these words, in addition to saying, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, he says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say just baptize them. He wants, you, he wants to make sure that people who are being baptized understand the theology. They understand the depth and breadth and beauty of a God that is not, not just monofaceted, but has this beautiful, beautiful shape to God of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And furthermore, when people were baptized in the church, they weren't just referred to as, you know, like, um, buddy or, or dude. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that maybe at some point someone said, hey, dude, in the church. But what they were supposed to refer to one another is, as is brother and sister. So for just one second, I want you to turn to the person next to you that is not your brother and sister. And I just want you to say, hey, brother, or hey, sister, or whatever you, whatever you just, just take a shot. Go for it. Okay, that was weird, right? That was, that was strange for some of you because your son just turned to you and said, hey, brother, or hey, sister. And some of your mom said, don't you call me sister again. This is the one time you get to do this. See, when, when we became members, it's, it's members of a family. We're becoming members of a family. And when you become members of a family, there's something that happens that is so beautiful in a family. Now, I know it's not beautiful all the time because in my house, usually it's madness and chaos and havoc, but it's called dinner time. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like you have this envision of what a family dinner would be like with like a three-year-old and a four-year-old and a six-year-old. It's not pretty. It's not pretty at all. There's like moments, like milliseconds of pretty, but the rest is pretty much like, I'm like, dad, will you get another thing from the fridge? Oh, yeah, right. Um, but potluck is the way I like to describe this thing that Jesus is inviting us into. He says, you're being baptized into a family. When you're in a family, you don't just, you don't just like uh, have dinner and then just walk away. This is going to be hard for some of you here, but you don't just not wash the dishes, okay? Best family experiences are like potlucks where everybody cooks and everybody cleans. Everybody carries the burden together. Everybody walks through life helping each other. That's what the kind of family God invites us into. And, and by the way, next week we are going to have such a good potluck. And do you know what food we're going to have at potluck that I'm most excited about? Kentucky fried chicken. I know. <laughs> now we had someone in the church that came up to us when I talked about Kentucky fried chicken last time. And they said, what about Popeye's chicken? I said, I don't care about Popeye's chicken. That is a waste of time. And they're not in Paso. They're in San Luis Obispo or something, right? Isn't that the one? Or churches? I don't care. We're talking KFC. That's what people want to see. That's what we, we're Paso. We want KFC. So 
And there's something beautiful that will happen when KFC walks in the room. Everybody will create their pretty little dishes and their fancy little desserts and yada, yada, yada. But everybody, everybody's going to run and get in line first when they see that KFC. That's just how it is. You'll regret eating it, for sure. You will. But, but it's the safest thing to eat also. Uh, anyway, so, oh, okay. So Pollock is going to be a great experience next week. Pollock is going to be a great experience. And I want you to know that that is the life that God designed us for. If you're looking through that kind of checklist or that little list of things that God wants you to be a part of in life, he wants you to be part of this baptized experience of being part of the family of God. Which means that if you go through a whole year or even a whole 10 years of your life in the church and you never attend a goofy potluck or a water balloon toss or a weird safe softball game or, you know, a, or a potato sack race, these are the things that, that God calls us to be a part of as a church and to experience. And, to, and, to, and essentially, it's the breaking of bread. It's that community and love. And so I want you to challenge yourself and, and look at this area and say, maybe this is an area that I'm going to be growing in. And as a church, we're going to say, hey, you know what? Is, are we providing enough as a church in terms of fellowship for those people to experience in the church? And if we're not, we're going to say, hey, you do it. <laughs> we'll find you. We'll come and we're like, you do it, you do it. We'll say, come on. And, and, if, and if you feel that call, well, then it'll be, it'll be a match made in heaven. The next thing is uh, Jesus says, he says, teach them to obey everything everything that I've commanded you. Everything. And then he finally says, look, I will be with you every day until the end of this present age. Isn't that great? So if you're feeling this burden of like, you know, I haven't lived this kind of life and this is something that I've never been, to, been able to accomplish, don't hesitate on that because God says God will be with you on the journey ahead. And it's not about, I feel like a lot of people tend to live their life based on the steps that they haven't taken. It's all like, oh, I missed that step. I missed that step. I missed that step. And that's what they focus on. But actually, we're not talking about those right now. We're talking about the steps forward. We're talking about the next step and the one after that. And so what Jesus is calling us to when he says, teach them everything that I've obeyed you or commanded you, he's calling us into a life of stewardship. He's saying, I gave you something really valuable. I gave you a testimony, a truth of who I am that you then get to share with the world. You know, stewardship is not about necessarily money. It's about life. It's about sharing the very essence of who we are and, our, and, 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 and the truth of, of what God has done in our life and to share that with the world around us. You know, I, I mean, I think, about, I think about stewardship and I think that a lot of people say, you know what, I'm going to invest in the you know, Fortune 500 company that's doing the best over there. That's where I'm going to put my talents, my energy, my focus, my attention. Do you know what God says? God says we should do with our resources. He says, take your resources and invest them in the least of these. Look to the people that have been overlooked by the rest of the world and pour your resources and your energy and your love into those people. He says, those are the people that I've came, come to seek and to save and to rescue and to bring in. I love that there was a church 1,800 years ago that was being persecuted, and they had what they knew was an authentic, authentic manuscript of Scripture. And they hid it in the floor of their church. And they refused to allow the people who were persecuting them to have that Scripture because they knew what they wanted to do was, was to burn it. And instead, they protected it, and they died. They laid down their lives because they understood that the story of who Jesus is is so valuable and so important. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. He says, be good stewards of the truth of my work in the world. That we are the ones that are entrusted with the truth of who Jesus is in this age and in this era. 
And then our job is to steward that into the lives of other people in every creative way that we can possibly imagine. You ever heard people say, hey, you know what, that person, it's a terrible thing to say, that person is a waste of air, right? Isn't that terrible? But you know what I'll tell you? I'll be honest, there's been times when I've wasted air. There have been times when I have wasted air. There have been times when I've wasted time or I've wasted energy, I've wasted, I've, I've, I've wasted what has been entrusted to me. But the truth is, even when I've intended and hoped to do good in the, good in the world, I've sometimes caused damage in those places too, right? Even when I've said, hey, today's going to be a productive day, and then I go and do something destructive, not even just, just kind of like a byproduct of my own sin brokenness nature. But God takes grace and covers all of that. And God says, you know what? I, I, I know your heart. I know where you're at. And I know, I know what my purposes and my plans are for you in this life. So I, I want you to think about that stewardship thing. And I want you to ask yourself, am I being a good stewardship of my time? Am I being a good stewardship of my talents? You know, am I hiding it? Do I shred on the piano? And I never told anyone. You know who you are. You're that person that said, you know what? I'll never tell them that I play piano because I wouldn't want to, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's always reason or whatever it is. There's a talent that God has given you. There's time, there's treasure, everything. Be a good steward of that. And the same thing with the church. We're going to seek to be good stewards. Why? So that we can hand that legacy to the next generation of people and, and see them grow up and live, and live full lives. But the, 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 the title of this uh, passage in Scripture, it's at the very end of Matthew. Isn't that weird that those are the last words that are in Matthew? Jesus just says, I will be with you to the ends of the earth. Done. Close the book. Isn't that great? Well, one, if you've just read through the Gospel of Matthew, then you know that they were faithful to that, right? You know that the disciples then took their, took their words and the stories of Jesus' goodness in their life, and they wrote them down. You know that some of them wrote them in the Gospel of Matthew, some in the Gospel of Mark, and some in the Gospel of Luke and John, and, and then it went out from there. And even some scholars believe that there were probably other Gospels that had been lost to us. And so it's just a beautiful story that we have of, of their faithfulness to the gospel. But, but this, the name of this is called the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission. Now, some of you salespeople are like, commission? I just woke up. <laughs> yes, that's what I wanted to hear, commission. What, what are you talking about, pastor? No, it means to partner with in mission. It means that God ha- God's mission in this world is something that he invites us into, God's plan in the world is something that God says, hey, you know, you get to be a part of this. You're going to be entrusted with this plan. I love that. And, and I, I actually think that it is illustrative of what we're all called to do. And that's the sixth thing. It's mission. We're all called to evaluate and ask ourselves, are we good missionaries? Are we good people who are missioning well? Now, a lot of people say, you know, I don't have what it takes to go on a mission trip or to, to mission. And actually, uh, I would disagree. All you really need to know in mission is to say, God is with you. That's it. That's what we seek to do with all of the mission. Now, we, we seek to express it through tangible acts of kindness and goodness and love. We seek to express it by embracing people in ways that are really ministering to their deepest need. And when they drink that water for the first time that's clean, you know what we say to them? That's just water. Jesus is the living water. And we say, God is with you. And then you just leave them with that. <laughs> the torment of that truth and joy and goodness. That's all you do is you go into their life and you say, God is with you. And so we are going to have classes that are going to be built around all of these different 
areas of faith growth, all of these ways that you can be intentional with your faith. And we're, you don't need to go to a class. Uh, next week, I'm starting the first one. It's called fellowship class. But after that, we're gonna, in three years, we're going to have six classes that are going to be a regular rotation, each one with an opportunity for you to be intentional about your faith and your faith development. You know, I've always been cautious of people that say, I want to go deeper with my faith. I really do. You know why? Because when I was a kid, I saw a lot of people say, I want to go deeper with my faith. And those were the same people that did nothing with their faith. They would just go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. But did you notice how Jesus, he brought people in, he kept near to them so he could do what? Send them out. I remember when I interviewed for this job and uh, I, I really didn't know what to say at all. Yes, you interviewed to become a pastor. Isn't that interesting? So, so I was just, you know, I remember the Bible saying, just, just let the Holy Spirit speak. And so there was a time we were sitting down to dinner with these wonderful people and say, they said, you know, half the congregation wants to go deeper and half the congregation wants to go outward. And I didn't know what to say. So I just prayed and I said, um, I'd never said it before in my life. I said, they're the same thing. Because you can't go deeper without going outward. And you can't go outward. Well, you can, but you, it's gonna, it's, going outward is going to drive you deeper. Going, out, going outward is going to make it deeper in your life. And so, so my hope is that we would be this congregation that would be going deeper and not for a purposeless, endless void of self-fulfillment and gratification. It's not for us. It's for Jesus and for the world. And so this whole understanding, this whole framework, it's, it's something that is scriptural. It's throughout scripture. It's not just in this passage. You'll find it everywhere. And it's all based, and here's a good image for you to remember. It's all based with the foundation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation. And each one of these areas are areas that you might say, you know what? I want to I grow in the area of small groups or worship or, um, uh, or uh, let's see, outreach, fellowship, um, stewardship, and mission. And when you look at all of these things, you might say, hey, you know what? I can grow in all five of these areas or six of these, sorry, all six of these areas. But what I'd encourage you to do is to just take one and say, this year, I want to be intentional and I want to grow in this way. Maybe, maybe being part of a church softball game or going to a potluck is a big stretch for you. Well, I want to encourage you to make that a part of your life, to, to engage in community and have conversations and, and experience the fullness of church. And maybe mission is that thing that you just feel like, you know what, I, I can check all these boxes, but this is a way that we want to grow. And we will do everything we can to make sure that this church grows in all of those intentional areas because we feel that this is what Jesus is calling us into. And, and, it, and the joy is that we have this, this opportunity to, to, to hear God's voice drawing us into the life of being his hands and feet to the world around us. Now, all this can feel like a big burden, right? You're like, oh, it's too much. But remember the words that Jesus, that are written, that Jesus said at the very end of, of Matthew. I love the gospel writer. The gospel writer said, you know what? This is all they need to hear. I will be with you even till the end of the age. I will be with you. This is, this is, not, a, this is not something that Jesus calls you into on your own. It's, it's something that he says, he's gonna walk right alongside you. Hold your hand, put his arm around your shoulder as you engage in this wonderful thing that we call the journey of faith. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this new vision, and we pray, we pray, God, that we could be faithful to it. This vision that has captured the minds and imaginations of, of fo your followers ever since the beginning, when they met you out on a hill on this, in Galilee. We pray, God, that you would um, 
You, you would drive us deeper in each of those areas so that we could, we could discover what you intend for us, that our mission statement, our purpose in life would be shaped by you. You would be the author of our mission statement. And through you, we would discover so much joy in life. We praise you, God. We pray for, pray, praise you for, for what you've done and what you are doing right now in this space. We praise you that you, have, um, that you have been so faithful as your disciples have stepped out on those journeys of faith. That you have, you've shown us how your kingdom is taking hold through hospitals and schools and, and the prison ministries and the ways in which you've, you've, you've rescued people from imprisonment in millions of ways. God, we rest in your love. We pray that, that those people who are, who are on the fence, really, about whether they are going to make a decision next week, we pray that you would just remind them that you are with them always, no matter what they decide, that you are still with them and you always will be with them. We praise you for, for the work that you're going to be doing in and through these people who are committing their life for the first time or maybe recommitting it. And we thank you that you here today have spoken profoundly and vividly to our souls, and may we be faithful to what you've spoken so that we can live it out. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.